Proverbs 12:28 In the way of righteousness is life and in the pathway thereof there is no death. Today's word is the word narcissist. These are two definitions from WordNet. 1. Narcissist Noun, bulbous plant having erect linear leaves and showy yellow or white flowers, either solitary or in clusters. Definition 2. Narcissus. Noun, in Greek mythology, a beautiful young man who fell in love with his own reflection. Now, if we break down the word in atomonline.com, It says, type of bulbous flowering plant from the 1540s, from Latin, Narcissus, from Greek, Narcissus, a plant name, not the modern Narcissus, possibly a type of iris or lily, associated with Greek, Narke, which means numbness which is uh, what goes into narcotic, which we'll go into in a moment, because of the sedative effect of the alkaloids in the plant. But Beekes considers this folk etymology and writes that the suffix clearly points to a pre-Greek word. Going into narcotic, late 14th century narcotic, Substance which directly induces sleep or allays sensibility and blunts the senses. Now let's read of the mythology of Narcissus. See if we can find something that is a deeper meaning. This comes from wikipedia.org. In Greek mythology, Narcissus was a hunter from Thespia in Boetia, who was known for his beauty. According to Tsitsi, he rejected all romantic advances, eventually falling in love with his own reflection in a pool of water. He later died, and in his place sprouted a flower bearing his name. The character of our Narcissus is the origin of the term narcissism, a fixation with oneself. This quality, in turn, defines narcissistic personality disorder, a condition marked by a grandiosity, excessive need for admiration, and an inability to empathize goes into etymology but we already read about that it explains the mythology here several versions of the myth have survived from ancient sources the classic version is by Ovid found in book 3 of Metamorphosis completed in 8 AD this is the story of Echo and Narcissus 
One day, Narcissus was walking in the woods when Echo, an Oread, which is a mountain nymph, saw him, fell deeply in love, and followed him. Narcissus sensed he was being followed and shouted, Who's there? Echo repeated, Who's there? She eventually revealed her identity and attempted to embrace him. He stepped away and told her to leave him alone. She was heartbroken and spent the rest of her life in lonely glens until nothing but an echo sound remained of her. Nemesis, as an, aspe- as an aspect of Aphrodite, the goddess of revenge, noticed this behavior after learning the story and decided to punish Narcissus. Once during the summer, he was getting thirsty after hunting and the goddess lured him to a pool where he leaned upon the water and saw himself in the bloom of youth. Narcissus did not realize it was merely his own reflection and fell deeply in love with it, as if it were somebody else. Unable to leave the allure of his image, he eventually realized that his love could not be reciprocated, and he melted away from the fire of passion burning inside of him, eventually turning into a gold and white flower. An earlier version ascribed to the poet Parthenesis of Nicaea, composed around 50 BC, was discovered in 2004 by Benjamin Henry among Oxyrhynipipyri, I cannot pronounce that, O-X-Y-R-H, Y-N-C-H-U-S. Unlike Ovid's version, it ended with Narcissus, who lost his will to live and committed suicide. A version by Conon, a contemporary of Ovid, also ends in suicide. In it, a young man named Amenius fell in love with Narcissus, who had already spurned his male suitors. Narcissus also spurned him and gave him a sword. Amenius committed suicide at Narcissus' doorstep. He had prayed to the gods to give Narcissus a lesson for all the pain he provoked. Narcissus walked by a pool of water and decided to drink some. He saw his reflection, became entranced by it, and killed himself because he could not have his object of desire. A century later, the travel writer... Pausanias recorded a novel variant of the story in which Narcissus falls in love with his twin sister rather than himself. In all versions, his body disappears and all that is left is a Narcissus flower. It's interesting the correlation between the word Narcissus and how it creates the word narcotic and the mythology of Narcissus with the theme of suicide and what we in modern days talk about the correlation between high suicide rates and opioid addiction. The Metamorphoses by wikipedia.org means books of transformations 
is an 8 AD Latin narrative poem by the Roman poet Ovid, considered his magnum opus comprising of 11,995 lines, 15 books, and over 250 myths. The poem chronicles the history of the world from its creation to the deification of Julius Caesar within a loose mythico-historical framework. Although meeting the criteria for an epic, the poem defies simple genre classification by its use of varying themes and tones. Ovid took inspiration from the genre metamorphosis poetry and some of the metamorphoses derives from earlier treatment of the same myths. However, he diverged significantly from all of his models. One of the most influential works in Western culture, the Metamorphoses, has inspired such authors as Dante Alighieri, Giovanni Boccaccio, Geoffrey Chaucer, and William Shakespeare. Numerous episodes from the poem have been depicted in acclaimed works of sculpture, painting, and music. Although interest in Ovid faded after the Renaissance, there was a resurgence of attention to his work towards the end of the 20th century. Today, the Metamorphoses continues to inspire and be retold through various media. Numerous English translations of the work have been made, the first by William Caxton in 1480. Now let's read about Ovid himself. Once again, from Wikipedia. Publius Ovidius Naso, also known as Ovid, was a Roman poet who lived during the reign of Augustus. He was the first major Roman poet to begin his career during Augustus's reign. Ovid was a contemporary of the older poets Virgil and Horace. Collectively, they are considered the three canonical poets of Latin literature. The imperial scholar Quintilian described Ovid as the last of the Latin love elegists. He enjoyed enormous popularity during his lifetime. Regardless, the emperor Augustus banished him to a remote province on the Black Sea, where he remained until his death. Ovid himself attributes his exile to Carmen et error, which means a poem and a mistake. His, re his reluctance to disclosing specifics has resulted in much speculation among scholars. Today, Ovid is most famous for Metamorphoses, a continuous mythological narrative in 15 books written in the meter of epic. He is also known for his works in elegiac couplets such as Ars Amatoria, The Art of Love, and Fasti. His poetry was much imitated during late 
antiquity and the Middle Ages and greatly influenced Western art and literature. The Metamorphoses remains one of the most important sources of classical mythology. So, the next thing I read starts to make things a little more interesting. So, Ovid, among other poets, wrote in a way called a dactylic hexameter, also known as a heroic hexameter, and the meter of epic. This comes from wikipedia.org is a form of meter or rhythmic scheme in poetry. It is traditionally associated with the quantitative meter of classical epic poetry in both Greek and Latin, and was consequently considered to be the grand style of Western classical poetry. Some premier examples of its use are Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, Virgil's Aeneid, and Ovid's Metamorphoses. Hexameters also form part of an elegiac poetry in both languages, the elegiac couplet being a dactylic hexameter line paired with dactylic pentameter line. The structure a dactylic hexameter has six feet. In strict dactylic hexameter, each foot would be a dactyl, or a long and short syllables. But classical meter allows for the substitution of a spondy, which is two long syllables in place of a dactyl in most positions. Specifically, the first four feet can be either dactyls or spondees more or less freely. The fifth foot is usually a dactyl around 95% of the time in Homer. The sixth foot can be filled by either a troche, a long then short syllable, or a spondy. Thus, the dactylic line most normally is scanned as follows. And then it has some symbols. Hexameters also have a primary caesurea, or a break between words, sometimes but not always coinciding with a break in sense, at one of several normal positions. After the first syllable of the second foot, after the first syllable of the third foot, the masculine caesura, after the second syllable in the third foot, if the third foot is a dactyl, the, sum, the feminine caesura, after the first syllable of the fourth foot, the hephthymenomeral caesura, Hexameters are frequently enjammed, jammed, 
the meaning runs over from one line to the next without terminal punctuation, which helps to create the long flowing narrative of epic. They are generally considered the most grandiose and formal meter. An English language example of a dactylic hexameter is a quantitative meter. This is the example. Down in a deep dark del sat n old cow munching a beanstalk. The preceding lines line follows the rules of Greek and Latin prosody. Syllables containing long vowels, diphthongs, and short vowels followed by two or more consonants count as long. All other syllables count as short. Such values may not correspond with the rhythms of ordinary spoken English. So with that idea of suicide, I want to uh, expand on the idea of sacrifice. And some of the themes that come from sacrifice uh, through mythology or even legends. And one thing that comes to mind is the idea of American football or just football in general. general, There's always that idea of sacrifice within the sport. And I think there's something to that. Uh, When we look at some of the Mesoamerican societies, the Aztecs, um, an example of what we're offered is through the movie Apocalypto, um, the changing of an age and the, the idea of human sacrifice to appease the gods. Now, with that comes the notion of absolute truth. And I'll have to dig more into this as episodes go on, but how no matter what kind of subjugation an individual is in, absolute truth will eventually always reveal itself down to the anatomical level. And uh, sometimes it takes many generations to get to that, that realization, that revelation. So... I'll just read some definitions for now and just kind of put the idea out there. I mean, these are just thoughts that come to my mind. Uh, This is the Creative Thought Podcast, after all. So let's marinate on that for a little bit. The Etymology of Sacrifice from etymonline.com Late 13th Century offering of something, especially a life, to a deity as an act of propitiation or homage, mid-14th century, that which is offered in sacrifice, from Old French, sacrifice, sacrifice offering, from Latin, sacrificium, from sacrificius, performing priestly functions, or sacrifices from sacra, 
sacred rites properly neuter plural of sacer or saker sacer sacred see sacred combining form of fasir to make to do latin sacrificium is glossed in old english by ensignidis ensignidis sense of act of giving up one thing for another something given up for the sake of another is first recorded in the 1590s as a verb sacrifice in the 13th century to offer something to a deity as a sacrifice from sacrifice meaning surrender give up suffer to be lost is from the 1706 related sacrificed sacrificing agent noun forms include sacrificer sacrificator both 16th century the latter from latin and sacrifolist sacrifolist So if we go into sacred, it's an adjective, late 14th century, past participle, objective from obsolete verb, sacrin, to make holy, from old French, sacrer, consecrate, anoint, dedicate, or directly from Latin, sacrere, to make sacred, consecrate, hold sacred, immortalize, set apart, dedicate further elaboration on the definition of sacrifice I just want to put my own personal thought on sometimes sacrifice is not for your own benefit sometimes it looks like a negative aspect to others but obviously there's a bigger picture that only those with a deeper understanding may come to realize why the sacrifice was made in the first place. This episode's going to be kind of a short one. Um, I just made a few episodes for season one, I guess. Um, I'm going to probably just try to make it uh, seasons on an annual basis. So since we're rounding out the end of the year, um, this is just kind of a sample of what may be coming throughout next year. Uh, Hopefully this was insightful, uh, meditative, and enjoyable. And if uh, things go well, I will make many more of these. Peace. Happy New Year.